Good morning. I was just saying how different it is to be sitting in this seat and looking out. I kind of like the flip side of that where I'm sitting on the front pew looking at Pastor. <laughs> um, so what we're going to talk about this morning is spirit, soul, and body. And um, it, it's been kind of a journey for me to, to get to this point. Last November, the Lord really started talking to me about perception and perspective. And it really piqued my interest. And it, um, it started me kind of on a journey of asking a lot of questions and really evaluating myself and, and trying to understand myself and my makeup. And why do I think the things I think? And why do I do the things I do? And why do certain things I see create different responses in, in either in my spirit or in my heart? And what happens if I dwell on those? Or what happens if I'm smart enough to say, you know what, that's really an unhealthy thought. And so is that the enemy coming at me? Or is that something that the Lord is bringing to my attention because it's something that needs to be dealt with? Because not everything that we have an issue with or not everything that creates a negative response inside of us is necessarily the enemy coming at us. It, there are times in our walk where the Lord just says, look, if you want to get to the next level or you want to be promoted, then we're going to have to deal with some things inside of you and we're going to have to do some purging and some cleansing. So when you're ready, you let me know and we're going to deal with this. But until then, you're going to stay at the level you're at. So that's, that's kind of been the journey, and I wasn't really surprised when we came to seminar in March that Pastor was talking about how perspective is the enemy of grace, and because our minds really are a battlefield. <clears throat> so I just started asking the Lord a lot of questions and started doing a lot of studying and research, and I know there's other people who have done extensive research on this subject, and I hope I do justice to them, but um, I just want to kind of go over some things and and how the soul a lot of people think that we're only made up of spirit and body but we're not the lord is really very specific that we are spirit soul and body and actually in that order and from what i could read and from what research i could do and from what um confirmation the lord gave me the soul is really the conduit between the two it's the medium that that talks between between the spirit and the body and the spirit is never going to override because that's just not what it does we have a free will choice so we can decide if we're going to let the spirit rule or if we're going to let our emotions rule and let our mind take over and start to create corrupt data with within our system and then we have bad sectors and then we cause division and we cause destruction not only for ourselves but if we're part of a corporate body then that also overflows into that so let's get started so in first first that's first that's uh first thessalonians <laughs> 523 the Lord says may the God of peace himself sanctify you holy and may your spirit and your soul and your body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord 
So in this scripture, we can definitely confirm that we are made up of three parts. Paul refers to a complete sanctification of believers. And he says we are to be sanctified wholly. And how are we wholly sanctified? By the spirit, by the soul, and by the body being kept. From this, we can understand that the whole person, our whole body, our whole person comprises these three parts. This verse also makes very clear distinction between the spirit and the soul. Otherwise, Paul simply would have said your soul. And it was very interesting. I know this is a little off topic, but it wasn't really until I, I came into this walk with you all that when I would go back and read the New Testament and a lot of the letters of Paul that I, and I have read the Bible through several times, but Paul always says to the saints and to the general church. So there's a distinction and Paul very clearly distinguishes who he's talking to. So again, he would have just said your soul. So since God has distinguished the human spirit from the human soul, we do conclude that we are spirit, soul, and body. And it's in that specific order because God works from the inside out. So we need to be very careful to always remember that our spirit comes first, the soul is the medium between the two, and the body comes last because really the body is the least important of it all. It's, it's just our casing. It really doesn't have any significance except for it just encases our spirit and our soul. Does that make sense? So, I'm sorry, I'll probably ask that a lot because when I teach, I, I, I always ask my little people if they understand so they can ask questions because <laughs> I want to make sure they understand. So the question that I had for the Lord was, is it really necessary or is it that important to divide the spirit and the soul? Why do we divide them? What is the significance of it? And I, I really believe that it's, it's important because it, it really affects our spiritual lives. How are we really going to under spirit, understand our spiritual life if we don't really understand the realm of the spirit? I don't think that we can grow spiritually. I don't think that we can mature properly unless we understand what the difference between the soul and the spirit really is and how they interact with each other. And I don't think that we can get to the level that we need to be if we don't understand that our soul has to be healthy. Because if it's not healthy, it's going to allow the mind to rule instead of the spirit to rule. Oftentimes, when we don't understand this, this is what, this is, we'll walk around in a soulish state. We think that it's the spirit, but it's not. Does, does that make sense? In Hebrews 4.12, it makes reference to the dividing of the two. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. I thought this was very interesting because we do need to make sure that they are divided. But discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, whatever is in our heart, whatever we think, 
And whatever we allow to take root in our heart, that's what's going to rule. And the heart of man by nature is wicked. So if we don't keep our soul healthy and we don't keep it in its proper place and perspective and we don't allow the spirit to continuously be stirred and communicate properly with our soul, then we're going to have a wicked heart. So let's talk about the beginning when God created man, what he did and how all of this came in, in, into play. So in Genesis 2-7, it says, And Jehovah God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So here it says that when God first created man, he formed him from the dust of the ground, and then he breathed that breath of life into his nostrils. So the breath of life is really man's spirit. And as soon as this came into contact with man's body, that's when the soul was produced. So by this, we can, can conclude that the soul is a combination of man's body and spirit. And the scriptures subsequently call this man a living soul. So the breath of life is what became man's spirit, the principal life within each one of us. And Jesus tells us in John 6:63 that it's the spirit that actually gives us life. However, we, cannot we can't confuse man's spirit with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit differs from our human spirit, as evidenced in Romans 8:16, where it says, "The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God." So the original word for life and breath of life is hey and it's plural it's in its plural form and this may refer to the fact that the inbreathing of god produced a twofold life one that's solical and one that's spiritual and when the inbreathing of god entered our bodies it became the spirit of man but when the spirit reacted with the body that's when the soul was actually produced. So this explains the source of our spiritual and our solical lives. Does, does that make sense? <laughs> so the, the term formed man of dust from the ground refers to man's body. Breathed into his nostrils the breath of life refers to our spirit as it came from God and man became a living soul refers to man's soul when the body was quickened by the spirit and brought into a living and self-conscious man. Man became a living soul expresses not merely the fact that the combination of spirit and body produced the soul, it also suggests that spirit and body were completely merged into this soul. In other words, soul and body were combined with the spirit, and spirit and body were merged into the soul. Now, what I find interesting, and I, don't, I could be wrong, and Pastor can, can correct me if I am, Adam was in an unfallen state until he sinned. So I don't think that he ever experienced the daily battle that we do after he fell. 
I think until he fell or until he and Eve sinned, he did not experience any of this. His spirit constantly worked in a perfect state all the time. Everything was like a machine that was well-oiled and there was no battle back and forth. So um, we can thank Eve for the daily battles that we all face. Gotta leave it to the woman every time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so God really treated man's soul as something that was very unique. As the angels were created by, as spirits, so man was created predominantly as a living soul. Man not only has a body, a body that has breath of life in it, we also became living souls as well. Why does God refer to us as souls? Because what we are and who we are depends on our soul. Our soul represents us and expresses our individualities. It's the organ of our free will. It's the organ in which the spirit and body are completely merged. If our soul wills to obey God, it will allow the spirit to rule over us as ordered by God. The soul, if it chooses, can also suppress the spirit and take some other delight as Lord of the man. So we can look at it this way. Watchman Nee used the illustration of a light bulb. And I kind of like it because I understand that. My dad did a lot of electrical stuff, so I kind of understand how a light bulb works. But if we think about within the bulb, there's electricity, there's light, and there's wire. So when the electricity hits the wire, it creates the light. The spirit is like the electricity. The soul is the light and the body is the wire. Electricity is the cause of the light while light is the effect of the electricity. Wire is the material substance for carrying the electricity as well as for manifesting the light. So the combination of the spirit and body produces soul, that which is unique to man. As electricity carried by the wire, is expressed in light so spirit acts upon the soul and the soul in turn expresses itself through the body we must remember though that while the soul is the meeting point of the elements of our being in this present life the spirit should be the ruling power in our resurrected state as evidenced in first corinthians 15:44, it is sown a natural body it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. So let's talk about the functions of the spirit, the soul, and the body. It is through the body that we come into contact with the material world. So I think it's safe to say that the body is that part which gives us the world consciousness. The soul comprises the intellect, which aids us in our present state of existence and the emotions which proceed from these senses. 
So since the soul belongs to our own self and reveals who we are and our personalities, I, derm I, I call this the, s the soul consciousness or the self-consciousness. And the spirit is that part by which we commune with God and by which alone we are able to apprehend and worship him. Because it tells of our relationship with God, the spirit is called the element of God consciousness. God dwells in the spirit, self dwells in the soul, while the senses dwell in the body. So as we've mentioned before, the soul is the meeting point of spirit and body, for it's there that they are merged. By our spirit, we hold that intimate relationship with the spiritual world and with the spirit of God, both receiving and expressing the power of life in spiritual and, this, and the life of the spiritual realm. It's through our body that we're in contact with the outside sensuous world, affecting it and being affected by it. The soul stands between these two worlds, yet it belongs to both. It's linked with the spiritual world through the spirit and with the material world through the body. It also possesses the, the power of free will. So it's able to choose from amongst the environment that it wants to participate in. So depending on the spirit of our soul, it's, it's going to decide if it wants to hang out with the world or it's going to decide if it's going to participate in what's going on in the spirit realm. The spirit can't act directly upon the body. I mean, God's a gentleman. He doesn't force himself on anybody. He doesn't force us to choose him. He doesn't force us to accept his son. So we have the free will to choose. We can decide as we take information in or we can decide as situations arise who's going to rule who we are. That's why it's called the medium. And the medium, by the touching of the spirit within the body, will allow the spirit to rule. Of the three, the spirit is the most important because that's the part that, that joins us with God. The lowest form, I feel, is the body because it, con it, it connects us with the outside world. Um, I'm going to move on. Let's talk about the holy temple in man. This was some place that the Lord took me. So Paul writes, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? This is 1 Corinthians 3.16. So he received the revelation likening man to a temple. We all know that God formerly dwelt in the temple. So there was the tabernacle of Moses that was built, and we had the Holy of Holies, and this is where God dwelt. By comparing ourselves to a temple, we can see how the elements of man are distinctly manifested. 
we know that the temple is divided into three parts. The first part is the outer court, which is seen by all and visited by all. So all of the external worship is offered here. And then we go further inside into the holy place, into which only the priests can enter and where they present oil, incense, and bread to God. And they're quite near to God. They're not at the nearest point to him, but it, they're, they're close. As they stand outside the veil, they're unable to stand before his very presence. God dwells the deepest within, in the Holy of Holies, where darkness is overshadowed by a brilliant light and into which no man can enter. Though the high priest does enter there once a year, he has a rope tied around his ankle with a bell on it. And he would go in there once a year to make atonement for the sins of the people. And if, if he messed up or didn't do something properly, then he would die and they would have to drag him out of there because nobody could go in there and get him. This nonetheless indicates that before the veil is rent, no man can go into the Holy of Holies. We are God's temple also, and we too have three parts. The body is like the outer court, occupying the external position with its life visible to all. And here's where we're to obey every commandment of God. And here God's son serves as a substitute and dies for mankind. Inside is our soul, which continues the inner life of each of us as we embrace our emotion, our will, and our mind. Such is the holy place. <clears throat> Here is where, uh, such is the holy place of a regenerated person, for our love, will, and thought are fully enlightened that we may serve God, even as the priests of old did. Innermost behind the veil lies the holy of holies, into which no human light has ever penetrated and no naked eye has ever pierced. It cannot be reached by us unless God is willing to remove the veil. That's our spirit. This spirit lies behind, beyond our self-consciousness and above our sensibility, and here is where we unite and commune with God. No light is provided for the Holy of Holies because God dwells there. There's light in the holy place that is supplied by the lampstand, and the outer court stands under the broad daylight. All these serve as images and shadows to a believer. Our spirits are like the holy of holies and dwelt by God, where everything is carried on by faith beyond the sight, sense, or understanding of the believing one. The soul resembles the holy place, for it is amply enlightened with many rational thoughts and precepts, much knowledge and understanding concerning the things in the idealization and material world. The body is comparable to the outer court, clearly visible to all, and the body's actions may be seen by everyone. Temple service moves according to the revelation in the Holy of Holies. All activities in the holy place and in the outer court are regulated by the presence of God in the holiest place. This is the most sacred spot, the place upon which the four corners of the temple converge and rest. It may seem to us that nothing is done in the holiest place because it is pitch dark. 
it may appear that all activities are in the holy place, even though those activities of the outer court are controlled by the priests of the holy place. Yet all the activities of the holy place actually are directed by the revelation in the utter quietness and peace of the holy of holies. It's not difficult really to perceive the spiritual application. The soul, the organ of our personality, is composed of mind, volition, and emotion. It appears as though the soul is master of all actions, for the body follows its direction. Before the fall of man, however, the soul, in spite of its many activities, was governed by the spirit. And this is the order God still wants. First the spirit, then the soul, and lastly the body. All of this was important to me because the Lord has been showing me many things about us individually and about us corporately. And as a body and as a unit and as a network, we have to be very careful and we must guard what God gave us. He has given us a gift, a tremendous gift. And I mean, if we really think about the message that he's given us, we should all fall to our face and be extremely humbled that he would entrust this message to us. So individually, in order for us to take our place in this network and where God has stationed us, we need to make sure that we're keeping our soul healthy. Because what the Lord has really shown me is the enemy is not coming at us from without. The enemy is coming at us from within. So we must guard what he's given us. We must continuously go before the throne and lay ourselves vulnerable before the Lord and say, cleanse me. Keep my soul healthy so that my spirit can rule my body. There have been times, we all have baggage. We all have stuff. We just do. You know, God really doesn't promote from the pedestal. God usually goes to the pit. I mean, Gideon was in a hole. Joseph was in prison. David was an adulterer. Paul was a murderer. So, I mean, it's not like he always picked the creme de la creme of society to come and serve him. So we all have stuff. And I've had stuff. But we're supposed to be the mature ones. We're supposed to be the ecclesia. We're supposed to be the ones that set the example. Now, there have been times when there have been issues that have come into my head. And I have thought to myself, that is the most ridiculous nonsense I have ever heard in my life. And it would try and take root, and it would try and cause a problem. And one particular thing for two years, it, it, it was a two-year battle, and I just kept praying, and I just kept rebuking the enemy and the enemy, and I was sitting here in seminar, I don't even remember which seminar it was, it's, it's been several years ago, and the light bulb finally went on, and I said to the Lord, oh my gosh, this is you. I gotta deal with this, this is not good. 
my, my soul is not healthy and it's allowing me to dwell on things that aren't productive. So I went back to my hotel room and I went to bed really early and I got up like at four o'clock in the morning and I took a shower and got dressed and I thought, okay, Lord, I'm gonna get there for intercession before anybody else does. And I did. It was between five and 5.30 and I went way in the corner back by where the drums are. And I sat on the floor and I said to the Lord, I know this is you and I'm ready and I'm gonna lay on this floor and I'm not getting up till it's done. I'm just not. And it took about two hours. It was about the time everybody else started coming in. But when I got up, at the, up off that floor, I was totally different. And I have not had those issues. But these are things that we have to take control of in our minds. And we have to especially be very, very careful about anything that we're considering to be all-inclusive. We, we have to judge it. The Lord reminded me again about the closing of the ranks this morning as I was getting dressed. And I said, Lord, why, why are we talking about this again? And the Lord reminded me that when he begins to close ranks in a group atmosphere, it's because he is getting ready to lay foundational principles. He's going to set a standard. He's going to set a foundation. He's going to lay it firm. And he's going to establish the authority and the hierarchy that he wants. It's just the way it is. And it's his choice. It's not about us. It's about him. It's about who he appoints and where he places each one of us in that structure. But the other thing he showed me, one of the things about the closing of the ranks is we are to protect and to gird as our service to God, whoever he places as the leader. We are to honor God by praying for our leaders and by honoring them. But he also closes ranks in order to defend those of us in here from criticism. And one thing I can tell you about that all-inclusive spirit is this, and this is what the Lord has shown me. It's not really a very nice spirit because when we don't want to grasp onto the all-inclusive spirit, we are criticized. We're criticized as being unloving. We're criticized as being judgmental. We are criticized as not having an open mind. Well, my Bible and my spirit tells me that I need to guard my mind. We don't want to have open borders in our country because we guard what we have inside. We need to guard this so that we can guard this so that our spirit is allowed to rule and reign and so that we can accomplish all that God has called for us to do. This was the purpose of my journey in this. I really wanted 
to understand how all of this works and how it can cause division and destruction in a unit. And the other thing that the Lord showed me was when, when we do not accept an all-inclusive doctrine, it causes a conversational firestorm that creates disaster and destruction. And we just can't have that. We can't. We are really on the cusp of something great. Look at Brazil. If Brazil is not testimony enough that we have not labored in vain, I don't know what is. I mean, God just opened that wide open. That's magnificent. I don't know what the key is that Brazil holds, but I know in my spirit that it holds one. There's something about that place that is going to open up other avenues in other places. The enemy would love nothing more than to come in and to keep us from reaping a magnificent harvest. We cannot let that happen. We just can't. And my heart grieves over people that should still be here that are gone. I don't understand. And it really, it makes me cry. I pray for them all the time. And I look around and my spirit is grieved over what I see is happening. And I say to the Lord, Father, we can't afford to lose any more people. So in my heart, I, I know we have 20 minutes left, but really where my heart is and really what I think the Lord would love for us to do, I think next week is going to be, uh, not that all of the seminars aren't important, they are, but I really believe that God is going to do some very foundational things and we need to prepare our hearts and we need to prepare our spirits and our souls to accept and, and take in everything that God has imparted to pastor. And I would like for us to just take some time and maybe intercede this morning as a closing. And what I really want us to intercede for is that God would bring back health and restoration and that we could all be united and unified as a body because we need every working part. Every one of us is important. So that's really where my heart is this morning. And we need to pray for those who have left. And we need to pray for next week. And we need to pray for our pastor. And we need to intercede for Monica. They do a lot to get these seminars together. They have a lot on their plate. And they do, they travel a lot. And I really feel like we need to undergird them as we get ready to enter into this week. So if that's okay, Pastor, if Monica, if you don't mind to put some music on and maybe we could just intercede before praise and worship this morning. intercede and then when you have to leave go ahead and leave okay. <coughs> 
Sound of 